Well, beloved, remain standing, please, and take your Bibles and turn them open to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to back up a few parables and finish this portion of the Lord's teaching with the parable of the leaven found right there in verse 33. And before I read that single verse, let's ask the Lord's blessing on us. Let's pray together. Beloved, Heavenly Father, what a privilege we have as your beloved to come and Lord worship you to put ourselves under this, these sweet means of grace, Lord, those things that you have given to us, Lord, where we might have our salvation, Lord, strengthened and preserved, and Lord, where we would be filled with hope, that hope of glory, Lord, where we can have our hearts excited about what it is to be a true child of God, what it is to worship you, what it is, O oh Lord, just the, the heavenly thoughts of, of being with you in eternity, for eternity, Lord, is overwhelming, it's joyful. Lord, we take great delight in it. And Father, we come now to the teaching of the parable of the leaven, and Lord, we ask that you would give us insight into its meaning, Lord, let its teaching not fall upon the hard ground and rocky soil, but let it fall upon the fertile, tilled ground, Lord, of a heart that's prepared and ready to receive the truth of the gospel. So, Lord, be with us, Lord, at this very special moment of your word going forth and being sown. Lord, may it be reaped in salvation and sanctification and ultimately glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And beloved, I'm going to read that one single verse. So hear now the word of God. Now he spoke another parable to them. And the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I guess there is some apology needed in that I skipped over this parable. I think half, half of it was intentional. The other half really did not think through it properly. But now we're backing up in order to pick up this parable to complete our Lord's teaching on the shore of Galilee with the crowd and both his disciples privately. Here our Lord teaches us many spiritual truths concerning his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that, that sphere of our Lord Jesus' mediatorial reign where he comes as our savior, our prophet, our priest, and our king to influence and to empower and to, to invigorate all of God's elect unto salvation. That they would be saved, that they would be preserved in their salvation, and that they would reap the great reward of everlasting life to be in that eternal presence of God forever and ever. And that's the great joy of every true child of God and every Christian. It's not the blessings that we have that we count daily or weekly, particularly on the Lord's day, which is a great day to count the Lord's blessings. A great spiritual work, great work an act of meditation using our minds to ponder the great goodness and greatness of our God toward us. It's a great work. It's not selfish to ponder and use that to cause our hearts to be, well, joyful and thankful because our God is good to us and he's good to all of us. And he's good to all of us individually and particularly in very special ways that only belong to each and every one of us. My brothers and sisters, 
our Lord is teaching us that the kingdom of heaven is something that we must strive to be in, to be a part of, to partake of and in. Obviously, all by his sovereign grace, by his power, and by that good mercy that we have just spoken of. But yet, we are to see this glorious teaching as a whole of the kingdom of heaven. And we are to take great delight in all of the things that we learned. Now, this morning, we're going to back up and complete a thought and then make some application for ourselves today. The parable of leaven comes in the context of the tares and the wheat and the mustard seed. I believe, and I think it's supported by the context that our Lord, in taking tender mercy upon his disciples, is teaching them that the kingdom of heaven will come under difficulty. There will be a conflict, the wheat and the tares. There will be a mixed multitude that will inspire many kinds of challenges for the disciples and for the minister, for churches. And yet he gives them this parable to encourage them to stay the course even though there will be a mixed multitude and though the work may at some times and in some seasons be very unrewarding, very difficult and very demanding and very hard, our Lord encourages us to let this mixed multitude grow up and there will be that final day of judgment and separation. That doesn't mean there's not a ministry of discipline at all. It just means that Beloved, not everyone who professes the name of Jesus Christ belongs to him. There are some that remain in the church for all the wrong reasons and never rise to the occasion of any kind of discipline, but they just are there. And they have no assurance that they are going to be numbered with the sheep on that day because they don't belong to him. And there are those, as we have seen many Sundays, right, that are deceived. They're deceived, they're lost, but their lostness bears the fruit of their own mental deception on whether or not they are the children of God and they will give argument on that day of judgment with our Lord for all to hear, did we not do this and that and another? And we'll hear our Lord address those as he sees fit. The parable of the mustard seed, again, an encouragement to the, the, the ministry, the church, the ministry of the church in, the, in, in this world that the, the kingdom of God is often small, starts off very small, not impressive at all, but in the end it will grow and it will be a place of a safe haven for many. In our own day, I'm sure those ideas are challenging for us, when we look around and we see the wholesale rebellion of states and governments and, and populations demanding the right to murder and sin and, and all kinds of heinous and disgusting and gross sins and, and actions toward, well, one another and immorality of all kinds. And yet we must cling to what the word of God teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. We must cling to that and hold to it. We must not allow the newspaper, certainly not the media, whether it be newspaper or cable TV or however it is you get your news, we must not allow them to affect us emotionally and spiritually, but that the word of God is our, the basis of our spiritual vitality and strength. 
We can stand firm and strong based upon what we know as the word of God and not be moved. And it doesn't matter if you're called names, so be it. Our Lord Jesus was called names. He was mocked. He was treated poorly. He was treated indifferently. He was treated as the village idiot because he went against the religious leaders of the day. Well, beloved, make no mistake about it. We stand firm and upon solid ground and we stand in good company when we're ridiculed for the truth. For the truth. Not for our own foolishness, but for the truth. The leaven is another parable that complements these other two. It's an encouragement. It's to teach the disciples more about the kingdom of God in that the mustard seed, there's this visible, there is this uh, the visible nature of the kingdom, but the leaven addresses the invisibility of the kingdom. What's not perceived, what can't be perceived, what can't be seen with the naked human eye. And yet there's a work happening, taking place. God is at work. God is working out his will. God is doing his good pleasure. God is growing his kingdom. God is not forsaking his kingdom. God is not forsaking his children. It is God who is at work when men can't perceive the work. And we are to take great encouragement by that. Because we have to confess that we do become discouraged. We have to confess that the cable networks do impress upon us sometimes emotions of, of what are we going to do? What's going to happen next? We have to confess, beloved, that, that we are sometimes one way and another tossed to and fro. But we must cling and hold to the principle that the parable of the of the leaven is teaching us and setting forth in that God is at work when no one sees it look at the parable again it's a short parable he said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it's all leavened. The first thing I want to bring out in this parable is that of just, again, that all the parables set forth, and that is the common activity of the woman kneading flour and baking bread. There's nothing extravagant about it. There's nothing glamorous about baking bread. Just as there's nothing glamorous about sowing the field with seed. You know, how many sons walk out there to their dad and go, hey, dad, let me sow the seed. Dad, let me pick up the rocks. Dad, let me till the ground. No, that's not how it works. It works like, son, we, we sowing seed today. So don't run off. We working today. I'm sure that many daughters, you know, once they get over that, okay, I've done, okay, I've done a little bacon. You know, they don't run in and go, oh, mama, let me knead the flour. Oh, mama, let me bake the bread. No, the, the parable itself is this is not a, this is not some just um, sit down lunch bread. This is three pecks of flour. Now, it's estimated, we, we don't know, scholars are not certain, we don't know for sure, but there's indication that, that it's a very large meal. Um, some estimate as much as 65 pounds of flour. 
Now, that's a lot of, that's a lot of kneading and, and hand work and elbows, right? Because, you know, they didn't have a bread machine. This was the bread machine. You know, they had to work out. That was a workout. But let me, let me show you. Go back to uh, Genesis 18. And just sort of give you a picture of the idea. We don't, again, we don't know the exact weight, a measure of the flour, but we can get an idea of it. Let's see. Let me find the. text here this is where the the three visitors come to Abraham and he runs in there and he tells his wife to bring out some bread um, now it's interesting Verse 6, so Abraham hurried into the tent with Sarah and said, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and bake bread cakes. And Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. Now, it's, here's the connection. The connection is we have a calf being prepared you would think the bread would compensate the amount of meat. So we're not talking about maybe a half a dozen biscuits. We are talking about enough bread that a calf could be consumed. Again, three pecks of measures, quite a, quite a bit of bread. So we see that in the text. So it's not something... That's glamorous. It's work. It's something that has to be done. It is something that is done on a daily basis. It's probably this person, this woman. Again, it's not important necessarily to the narrative, but it would be something that they would see regularly. Well, all the parables are taken out of their own experience. That is more than likely this woman is either preparing for a feast or she is preparing or preparing for a celebrative, a celebratory feast, or she's possibly selling this bread. She's cooking enough that some can be sold. But it's a lot of bread, that's the point. What we need to bring, what we need to remember, beloved is that the, God did not design his kingdom to be all pony shows and festivals, circuses, that month of the year where there's the fair, county fair. It's work, it's mundane, it's every day, it's the things that are to be done they're not glamorous, yet they are very effective. And oftentimes, I think in our, in our own culture, as I was thinking about the application of this particular parable to us today, is that we are all seeing the negative effects of the multimedia generation, right? The TikToks, the Snapchats, the um, uh, Facebook, the, they know, what we know is that they are, they are literally producing changes in the brain because of the chemical reactions that are being produced. And they knew this the whole time. And yet, we are living now in a generation that everything is sort of episodic. It's, it's, a, it's a Kodak. See, my old generation, Kodak moment. You, you, you folks are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. The young people probably have no clue what even Kodak is. But there used to be a commercial about a camera, Kodak film and Kodak cameras, and it would be, it's a Kodak moment. You take a picture, have, you know, say cheese. We don't, now we all have these devices called cell phones, but they are everything more than a cell phone. 
And everything's a snapshot. Everything's a moment. Everything's the, the just right. Everything's the, the sunset. Everything's the, the stars in the sky, the flower. It, it, it's, it's the butterflies. It's the unicorns. It's the, you know, skittles falling from the sky kind of thing. And, and what has happened is marriages and families and children, it's caused a great moral earthquake and there's an eroding of, of those things that are valuable, but they're work. You might have seen lately of uh, the, the congressperson, I don't remember the state, maybe Colorado, that voted to end abortion. It was a state out west. And his 20-year-old daughter signed on to her TikTok account and basically said that she will have nothing else to do with her father ever again because he took he voted to take away her rights. Now, I want you to think about this. This deceived young woman just gave up the one relationship in her life that'll be the rest of her life. This valuable relationship of a father, she just trashed wadded it up like a piece of trash and threw it away so that she could hear other people on TikTok and Snapchat who are in miserable people go, you're so brave. You're, you're so wonderful. You go, girl. You are amazing. And, and again, I promise you, she couldn't wait to check the TikTok account. She has trained herself for these episodes, these, these accolades, and we don't care where they come from. I heard one, one man say, who, because all of this is raising a lot of questions, to my point, that now we have followers and it has created a people that are willing to sell themselves out morally for followers and their opinions that we never we don't even know them never even met them never even met them but it becomes what drives so many people and i'm not talking about this we're not even talking about just young people anymore we're talking about adults we're talking about adults. Well, the kingdom of God is not like that, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is that, that every day kneading, baking, sowing, reaping, working hard in these fields, right? Fishing, gathering, separating. The kingdom of God are, is, the, is, is, the, are, is that th those activities that we often don't want to do, get tired of doing, and yet this is the kingdom of God. This worship, the preaching of the gospel, the preparation of the sermons, the preparing of our hearts to come and partake of the ministry of the word and the Lord's Supper to fellowship with one another, to to get ourselves ready for the Lord's day. All of these things that we are required to do, that we ought to want to do, we get tired sometimes. And these are the things that matter. I can tell you, beloved, as a counselor, it's one of the things that has to be trained into most people is that fixing yourself doesn't happen overnight. Now, there are more than one reason for this, but nevertheless, I often say, you know, you didn't get here overnight. Oftentimes, it's years of bad habits, years of poor thinking, years of unbiblical thinking, years of sinful reactions, and often have to go back in and retrain the mind and recalibrate our habits, re reset ourselves spiritually, what our hearts long for and are devoted to, reassess those things, recommit ourselves. Now, you think about this. This one value of the Lord's Day, among many values of the Lord's Day, is that we get to come and reset ourselves today. 
Now you can think, okay, I got to muster up strength. I got to go to church. I got to do these things. I got to, I got, I got, I got, I got. However, we get to come and re-covenant with our God today and to renew our strength. Lord, come and give me the strength of an eagle. Allow me to soar spiritually because I'm in great need, O oh Lord, of your ministry to me. And Lord, you're working even though I don't see it because you're a promise keeper. And you are changing me according to your promise and according to your word. Our brothers and sisters, what we have to do is overcome ourselves. And the things that we consider to be ho-hum and mundane, we have to take the Lord's teaching here and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see the kingdom of God differently now. And it is the small things. It's the ordinary things that matter. It's not the, I mean, praise God when there's what, an episode? Every now and then the, 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 the Lord Jesus may work through a preacher like me and to preach just a sermon that, you know, I don't know, it reaches your heart, it speaks to you. Brother John, the same way, any preacher that stands, I mean, God pleased to use us and praise God for that, but typically it's those ordinary sermons, it's the things that we talk about regularly, right? That we have the obligation of bringing ourselves under it by faith and go, oh Lord, the kingdom of God is like leaven. It's mundane. Secondly, it is, it is invisible. It's the work of the heart. Now, it's not without its fruit, which is visible, but where does it begin, beloved? In you. That's the point of our Lord here. The point that Jesus is saying is, listen, 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 listen. God is at work in the hearts of his people. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we suffer seasonally so that we might bear much fruit when the time comes. I, I mean, listen, there's nothing new. I'm not. The, 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 turn to Psalm 1. I, I mean, we believe that, I say we believe, we certainly scholars believe that Psalm 1 was crafted to, to as a uh, preamble, if you will, to the Psalter. And, but notice this six verse Psalm the impact it makes. But I'm going to just begin reading at verse 1. It says, About blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit and its season. You know, if you know anything about fruit trees, they don't bear fruit all year. You know, I planted some fruit trees this year. And one looked dead. And I thought, well, you know, I killed it. And um, I mean, it looked bad. I mean, all the rest of them, green leaves coming out. I mean, they, I was proud but that one didn't look good. But you know what? It got stressed. You know what it has on it right now? Green leaves. For whatever reason, that one plant, that one tree was stressed and lost all of its leaves and it looked like it was shriveling up and it looked like it was dead. Now, brothers and sisters... We can have those seasons as well. Doubt, contemplation, where our sins become so impactful on our thinking and on our mind that we're confronted that God brings them to a head and he says, you got to deal with this. You're going to deal with this. And then... 
But see, God is not have, God hasn't abandoned you. God is working in you. See, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 talks about the power. And I, I plan on using this verse in a moment, but if, if you know the verse, you can see that there is this invisible work of the Spirit of God with the Word of God. And it says in verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, able to judge what, beloved? The thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what God is doing. That's what he does to all of us. And what happens when, when we find ourselves in that condition of just being pruned, of, 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 of being stressed like that fruit tree? Verse 16, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But there is this invisible work taking place in the people of God and all of the people of God. You know, you, you, if you were to step back in time and see Peter standing there, I mean, one moment he's willing to pull out his sword and cut the cut the man, the group that's coming to get Jesus and he whacks his ears off and Jesus heals him and like Peter settled down. So, yeah. And then the next thing he's doing is what? Denying the Lord. You're the one that, you're one of those disciples. You're one of those guys that follow Jesus. And not, no, I'm not. And we would, you know what our tendency is to do? Write him off. But God's at work in his heart. And you go back and you read the Gospels, what does it tell us? That Peter flees the scene wailing, weeping. And what was it that caused him to flee the scene and to break out? Jesus is being ushered out. And he sees him. And he has to flee. He can't bear to be in the presence of Christ in his denial. And of course, we know the story. We know our Lord restores him. But brothers and sisters, God's at work in the hearts of the elect. It's like the meal. It's like the yeast. It's, it's what the text says. It's, it's the kingdom of heaven is like the leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour. Hid. It's not seen. But what is that yeast doing in that dough? It's working. It's working. It's doing its job, isn't it? It's leavening the lump. It's working. You don't have to stand there. You don't have to fan it. You don't have to do anything to it. Once it's needed and once that yeast is inserted and it's set to the side and covered, what do you do? You walk away from it. You don't watch it. it let, let it do its thing. And that's what Paul is teaching us in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's working in you. And we can all confess, I think we would all confess if we were really honest, that there's sometimes I just, 
I, 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 I doubt it. And I don't want to doubt God's work. I certainly doubt myself. But, beloved, we keep coming to that spiritual fountain and these means of grace. We keep coming to the things that God has commanded us to come to. And when we come to obey those commandments of worship, of giving ourselves to the means of grace or the study of God's word, hiding thy word in our heart so that we would not sin against God, that we would hide it away, that the word of God is being activated by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what is he doing with it? He's sanctifying us. He's agitating our inward man. He's getting rid of those sins, those entanglements. He is working in us, making us more and more and more unto the image of his blessed son. He is purifying us. He is leavening the whole lump. Our minds, the way we think, I, this is where our older saints could really teach the young people a lot. To testify to, you know, how the Lord, you know how young people often start off being very harsh in judgments. Well, it takes a few seasons of their own stumbling to learn I'm not so stellar myself. And some humbling takes place and then God prepares you to actually be that girl or that boy or that young woman, that young man that, that Paul says in Galatians 6 is the spiritual one that can come along beside and help the fallen because you understand you understand the strength of the temptation. You understand that God, yes, God's at work, but you understand what it is to stumble and fall. And, and that, that criticism is backed way off. Beloved, there is an inward working of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in all of His children, in all of them. Galatians 5, Paul says there's this war. There, there's this war that takes place. He says right there in verse 16, he says, in chapter 5, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please. There is an inward work going on in every one of God's people for the good and the salvation of God's elect and for his own glory. So it's, it, it, it's inward. It's, it's not perceivable per se because, again, if we'd have saw Peter, we would have said, eh, that's what I thought about him. I knew I saw it coming. I knew he was going to be that way. We've heard those words, haven't we? You think about King David. And his sin. And then his season of humility. And his season that God's working in him. To the point where he says, oh Lord, not just cleanse me, not just make me clean, but make me a voice to be a teacher of others as well. The third element that I want to bring to your attention out of the parable itself is not just the mundane activity. It's not just the 
uh, invisible nature of this kingdom. It's often not perceivable. I mean, we look around us into this nation, and uh, uh, let me capsulize on that point with this. We look around, and, you know, we, we, we probably don't all think God is at work. But God is very much at work in this country. God is very much at work in this country. God is ministering to his people. He's using his people to minister. And he's strengthening the true church. And he's purging the old leaven out. He's purging the old church, the old leaven, the sinful church. He's purging the woke church. He's purging the immoral church. He's making it manifest. He's making it known. He is working on behalf of his people. And he is glorifying himself so that when that greater day arrives, whatever that looks like, whatever it is, whenever it is, then we will certainly know that there will be a great spiritual harvest because God had prepared the way the whole time. God had prepared the way the whole time. Just like the leaven does what to the whole lump? It leavens the whole thing in time. Thirdly, I want to talk about the power of the kingdom. And this is, all of them are important, but this one we can certainly spend some time on. The power of the kingdom in you. Now, I want to say this, and I want, to, I want you to really pay attention because I know in the Reformed faith, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm part of this critique, we do tend to focus on sin. We, we tend to, to address sin regularly because, well, we struggle with it so much. But listen to me. The power of God is seen in that little bit of leaven. A little tiny bit of leaven leavens three pecks of flour. God really changes you. Okay? God changes you. God can make an angry person a pleasant person. The power of God's grace in you, beloved, should not and cannot be overlooked without great damage to your own testimony. God changes his children and those changes are real just as real as you are, as Paul said to the Corinthians, you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. These old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were adulterers. But now you are clean in Christ. And we must embrace this power recognize it, embrace it as real as everything in this physical world is real to us, to touch that piano, it's real, this table, this pulpit, this Bible, one another, it is real that we are new creations in Christ and we are changing and have changed. Now listen to me. Here's what I want to say. If you're here this morning, And you have adopted this mindset of sin is greater than grace. We need to address it. Well, I'm Irish and I have a temper. I don't care. I don't care. Well, you know, uh, my family's known for, you know, being emotional and acting first and thinking later. I don't care. Because when you become a child of God, you have a new daddy. And you have a new mother, the church. And you have to learn new ways of your new family. 
And you have to not only realize that this is the kingdom of God in you, but this is also the work that you are to do. And again, we all want it to be instant. It's not. It's not. God is still working with every one of us based upon who we are, based upon all of these things that are realities in our lives, whether it be a family with a hot temper, whether it be a family with, with loose morals, whatever it be a family, no matter what, whatever your situation, whatever your condition, whatever your circumstance, God is now your Father and Christ is your Redeemer and He is your prophet. He is teaching you the new way. He is your priest. He is praying for you to have strength. He's interceding for you day and night and He is your King and He's coming with power to do what? Slay your enemies. And when we don't recognize that valuable change, when we don't recognize that reality, when we don't recognize that changing grace that we possess as the children of God, then what we're doing is we're not giving God the glory due his name. The beauty of what we're learning is that if I have something immoral going on in me, I can change it in Christ. I can repent of it. And I can replace that immoral thought, that immoral deed with virtue, integrity, and God's wholesome law. I can replace that and I can be what what I've been created to be in Christ to be. If you've been here on Wednesday night and you've sat under my teaching on the Shorter Catechism, you, you would hear me say, you, you know, a lion is, how does a lion glorify God? Well, being a lion. How do we glorify God? We glorify God by being what we were created to be. And all that he created us for us to be. He, we glorify God when we are what he made us to be. And that's why, beloved, the power of the kingdom of heaven is in you. And it's in you for your good. And it's in you for God's glory. I do not want you leaving here captured, enslaved by old habits. When you can, you can lay them at the feet of the cross today and you can begin praying for God's deliverance of that sin and then this, because what have I said? I said it's not instant, right? You know what you're going to pray after that? Deliverance? You're going to pray for the patience to wait and abide like a tree planted by the water so that when God wants to break out your life with fruit, you're going to be ready. You're going to be ready to bear that fruit. You're going to be ready for all people to see that fruit because you have abided in the means of the mundane work of Christianity in the kingdom of God. Do not despise these small things. Because these are the very things that are saving you and sanctifying you and giving you that purpose and giving you the joy of everlasting life to come and giving you the hope and the desire that I can be what I was made to be in Christ. You have that in the gospel. You have that in Christ. This parable teaches us the invisible nature of the kingdom. It teaches us that the kingdom of God doesn't come with bells and whistles and fireworks, typically. And it comes with spiritual power to give you all that you need inwardly to be that man, to be that woman that, that, that you've been called to be in Christ.
He's working in you. And you will bear that fruit. You will. And that's what Jesus taught us in John 15. We don't have time to go there. But remember, he's working in you, pruning you, strengthening, cleansing your conscience, working in your heart and mind to do what? To bear that fruit in season when God is ready for you. Maybe it's a moment where you have to stand up and, and, and take a stand where before you've been reluctant to do so. And the Lord bears that fruit in your life for you to say, listen, this is wrong. Sometimes it's in a family. Sometimes it's among children. Sometimes it's among a spouse. Sometimes there's where we have to take a moral stand to do what's right. Because that's what we were created to do. And that's what we're willing to do when we're filled with the Spirit. And God is bringing forth that kingdom fruit in our lives. Well, beloved, I hope this has been edifying to you. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon it. Gracious Father, This parable, it is small, it is very small, but it is very full of truth, truth that we need to hear, truth that we need to listen to. Father, we know that your grace is strong enough and powerful enough to not only work through individuals, but through states and nations. Lord, that as you as the gospel is preached and oftentimes it's ridiculed, it, the, the fools laugh and mock the preaching of the gospel, but it is the power of God and the salvation. You are, you are doing a mighty spiritual saving work in your elect. And Lord, you are preparing all of us to bear fruit in due season and to, uh, Lord, to be all that you've called us to be. We get to enjoy that here in this life. And so, Lord, we, we praise your name for what we've learned. We pray, oh, Lord, that you would give us the desire, Lord, give us the tenacity, Lord, to, to maintain the course, to stay the path, to keep doing the things we're doing and yet expecting you to do a great work in us. Leaven the whole lump, Lord. Not only leaven us, leaven this church, Lord, leaven us in this community. Work through us and make us all that you would have us to be. For Christ's sake, we pray, amen.